0: Man, uh, Such a good morning already. I'm thankful uh, that we get to be a part of a church family committed to gospel ministry, uh, not just uh, in a church building, uh, but really around the world uh, and in our own homes. And so, uh, get to see kind of all of that uh, on display here today, and we just are a grateful people. If you have a Bible with you, open up to Luke chapter 5, uh, starting in verse 12, where we're going to be looking today. My name is Jeremy. I get to be Uh, one of the pastors uh, here. I saw a few new people, just just so you know. Uh, Nick was the guy uh, holding one of the cute kids up here for a little bit, Uh, and then back at the drum set, he's another one of our pastors as well. Uh, But we are grateful that you're here today. Uh, If you are new, uh, a number of you came with family members. Maybe you have a church where you came from. Praise God for that. If you're new, just kind of checking things out here today, uh, we want to know who you are. Uh, we don't want people to be anonymous. We want to know people. And so in your bulletin, there's a QR code on the back uh, where you can give us some of your... Wait, never mind. It's on the inside. Uh, and you can give us some information about who you are uh, so we can maybe reach out to you as well. Uh, but you're in your Bible, Luke chapter 5. Uh, what a gift that we have four Gospels that relate to us. Here's who Jesus is. It's been a joy to go through Luke just verse by verse so far. Uh, here's what we've found so far in the, the weeks in Luke. After being born to a faithful mom and adopted by a faithful dad, Jesus grew up in a small town in a pretty quiet way in Nazareth in Galilee. His public ministry begins at about the age of 30. And in recent weeks, we've seen his fame on the rise. He's teaching with authority He's given people a taste of the kingdom of God by displaying his authority, not just in his teaching, but also his authority over diseases and demons. So that's what we've seen over the last weeks. Last week, we saw him then recruit common convicted sinners to join with him on his mission, and that's where we left off. Today, we're going to see his authority on display again, but this time, he's going to cross a line. Jesus' display of authority is going to uh, brew up some conflict among other people. But as Jesus reveals more of His identity and exhibits the extent of His authority, we're going to see some beautiful things as well. In a world where authority people in authority sometimes neglect or even abuse the most vulnerable among them, we're going to see Jesus use His authority to heal and to forgive. And it's a beautiful picture. If you're able to, our custom is that we stand as we read the Word of God. So if you're able to, please stand. I'm going to pray, and then we'll jump right into reading. Father, thank You uh, that You have given us Your Word, and I pray now, uh, just very simply, that by Your Holy Spirit, the same Spirit who inspired each of these words Uh, to be written, that you would glorify your Son, exalt him around us today, and that you would work in our hearts what is pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter 5, verse 12, God's Word says this, while he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy, and when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, You can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded, for a proof to them. But now, even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities Finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts which is easier to know that the son of man has authority on earth sorry why do you question in your hearts which is easier to say your sins are forgiven you or to say rise and walk but that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins he said to the man who was paralyzed I say to you rise pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized all. And they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. Amen. You want to have a seat? Inside your bulletin is a sermon notes page. You see the first point there is Jesus cleanses an unclean outcast. So the first character we're introduced to today is a man we are told here is full of leprosy. Now leprosy now refers to one particular kind of disease. This word that's used here referred to a variety of different skin diseases. So we don't know exactly what kind of skin disease he had but he had some kind of skin disease and his case is bad. In fact it says here he was full of leprosy. It wasn't just like he had an, a rash that itched occasionally. Okay? This man is, is, has, is full of leprosy. What did that mean in that culture under Jewish law? Well, if you went back and in my you know, yearly Bible reading plan, I read through the book of Leviticus and you get to Leviticus 13 and 14 and there's like two whole chapters on what to do with skin diseases. Right? So, so there's a lot laid out, even in, in the law, about what somebody with a skin disease like this is to do. What it basically meant was this. This man was untouchable, unclean, and an outcast. He could not likely live with his family. He could not be physically touched. He couldn't participate in religious ceremonies. He had to avoid people when passing them on the street. This skin disease wouldn't only make his life physically miserable, it would affect every part of his life. Imagine just like the psychological, mental, emotional impact it would have on you when you are just seen by everybody as unclean, never feeling physical touch. What should this man have done in that culture with this kind of condition when a crowd is gathered? Is he would want to do the exact opposite, or he would be expected to do the exact opposite of what happens. He should be avoiding the crowd, so as not to make all of these people unclean. Run away, avoid the rabbi, don't make him unclean by any means, but he's desperate. This man is desperate, and by God's grace, he's got some friends. Right? A lot of people in his case wouldn't have been... been uh, willing to come near to him in any way. But this man has some good friends. Praise God for good friends. What should Jesus have done by coming into contact with this guy? Well, Jesus could have scolded him, right? For for, for being, risking to, to make all of these people, Jesus and those around him, unclean, but Jesus doesn't scold him. What else could Jesus have done? Well, we've seen Jesus, he has authority over diseases. He could have just said words. Right? He, all you he need to do is say words and this man is made clean and healed on the spot. Is that what Jesus does? Look at verse 13. Verse 13 says this. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. No one would touch this guy willingly. But Jesus touches him. Jesus is willing himself to become unclean in order that this man might become clean. You might see a picture of the gospel starting to form here. Jesus is not repulsed by sinners. Jesus doesn't scold the social outcast. Jesus doesn't rebuke the religiously unclean. No, Jesus here touches the untouchable. Jesus willing to take on his uncleanness, declaring him to be clean. And then in verse 14, we see that Jesus cares about every part of this man's life. He actually has him go through all of the steps prescribed to them in the book of Leviticus, not only so that this man is is clean and and free from his disease, but that he will be socially accepted, welcomed back into a family, able again to do the religious things that those in his culture were doing. And that's why Jesus tells him to do what he tells him to do there in verse 14. Imagine the transformation in this guy's life, like in that moment. He goes to do this, and now this guy that nobody would touch. I mean, just think about this. Like, like little baby Zachariah and little baby Henry, how much in their short lifetimes already have people touched them lovingly? Like you hold them close to you. Almost every time I see one of them, one of, one of their parents is holding them and other people wish they were holding them, right? These, these little guys get to be held and touched on. This guy, no human touch because he's dirty, he's unclean. And in a moment... At the word and touch of Jesus, he is made clean. All the leprosy leaves him, and he is touchable again. And the result of this is that Jesus' fame continues to spread, even though Jesus tells him, at this time, you you can't be telling anybody about this. But Jesus' fame continues to spread. Jesus could easily have ridden that wave, keep teaching, keep healing... Right? You've got a lot of followers now. You're super popular. Keep posting content, Jesus. Right, You've got to keep doing this. But what Jesus does, it says, in verse 16, is this. Verse 16. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Luke wants to make clear, in the midst of countless demands on Jesus' time, He often withdraws to pray. We saw this back in chapter 4. We're seeing it here in chapter 5. We're going to see it again in chapter 6. And I want to pause for a point of application here. We need to learn something from Jesus here because there are also many demands on our time. Let me specifically target this on Mother's Day to parents. Parents feel the, the many demands and pulls on our time. We're feeling it Now, as parents, many of you also feeling it. Parents of younger kids are feeling often exhausted because your little ones depend on you for literally everything. If you don't feed them, they don't eat. They make messes and they can't clean them up. They don't sleep when you want them to. They cry, they follow you everywhere. You need to be with them all the time and you are often exhausted. There are many demands on your time when you have younger children. When you have older children, there are many demands on your time. You're exhausted. We're exhausted because our calendar is full of events. One after the other, sometimes those events overlapping. And if we ever slow down enough to not to be doing constant events, we recognize that the teenagers that live with us have a pretty heavy dose of emotional needs that we need to be attentive to. And it exhausts us as we try to help them and walk with them through some of those things. So we know what it's like to have a lot of demands on our time and to be exhausted from it. There's a lot of temptation that could come during those times and we would be wise to learn something from Jesus and just often withdraw and pray. Dad, you want to bless your wives on Mother's Day, pray for her. Pray with her. Give her time. Take care of everything else so that she can take some time to withdraw to desolate places and pray moms, resist the urge to withdraw to a desolate place and scroll through things on your phone right that's a that's a that's a desolate place too and it's often where what 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 we're tempted to withdraw to how many of you are here today because you had a mom who prayed for you what a gift right how many of us like like, I'm, I'm sitting at a worship service on a Sunday morning worshiping Jesus because I had a mom who prayed for me. I'm going to call out one person, not my wife. I, you, I call her out probably too much. I'm going to call it Nick's mom. Nick, Nick's mom, Jamie, is here today. And I remember when we were in the process of getting to know Nick through the interviewing and candidating phase, one thing that we heard from Nick multiple times is when we would commend him on something, uh, and we would kind of try to dig into why, why, why is this man the way he is, he would often just attribute, I have a mom that prayed for me a lot. Praise God. Because that not only benefits Jen and it benefits Henry, it benefits an entire church family, and we are grateful for a mom who prays. Moms, let's be moms who resist that temptation to withdraw to desolate places and scroll, and instead to withdraw to desolate places and pray. By the way, your desolate place might be a bathroom with a locked door. That might be the only way you get away to, right? I, I get it. But, church, let's all look for more times in our day to withdraw and pay, pray, whether we're parents right now or not. Jesus was just about to see a rapid ramp up in resistance to his ministry, and it's good that he withdrew to pray. Let's continue on in this passage. We're introduced to some new characters in verse 17. They're going to show up a lot more here in the gospel according to Luke. But in verse 17, we're told that one one of those days as Jesus was teaching, there were Pharisees and teachers of the law as a part of the crowd. They had come from all over the place to hear Jesus teaching. The Pharisees were one of four major Jewish groups in that day. And their goal really was to keep Israel faithful to the Mosaic law. And the way that they went about doing that is they would often add some rules and traditions that would help people know, here's how you apply the law in every single situation you could ever think of. So they've got like the Mosaic Law, which is in many ways overwhelming in and of itself, but the Pharisees would kind of add to that uh, some, some weight so people knew how to apply. It was a small group of people, but they were very influential. And they've shown up now also to be a part of the crowd hearing Jesus teach. Along with them are teachers of the law or scribes. Okay? Pharisees and scribes often together because they're a subset of the Pharisees. Often You could call them like religious lawyers, basically. What happens next is ingrained in my memory from being a child in Sunday school. This is a story we would go to a lot. And I, I can see these, these illustrations, flannel graph kinds of illustrations of four friends carrying a guy on a mat, and there's a crowd. Can you picture this situation? Let me read it to you again, verses 18 and 19. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before jesus now why would they be doing that because the power of the lord was on jesus to heal he had authority to heal diseases tons of people were were being healed by jesus and so of course these good friends want to make sure this man also is healed so they bring him trying to lay him before jesus but verse 19 says but finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed and threw the tiles into the midst before Jesus. So you're picturing this scene, crowd packed in, listening to Jesus teach, and you hear a noise above you on the roof, and then some reeds, and some mud, and some clay start to fall down, and pretty soon there's an all-out hole, and a man is being laid down. So you're watching Jesus teach. Jesus is looking at the crowd. Now some people start to look up, and now right there in front of Jesus, is a man laying on a bed, and he hasn't been able to walk. We don't know for how long. Now, what's Jesus going to do? Earlier in Sunday school, you heard from Mary, Beth, and Bio. What we've heard them do again and again is as God lays a need in front of them, Bio said a couple of times during Sunday school, what am I supposed to do? Turn them away? If there's a need in front of my face, I, I don't know how to do this, but I better figure it out because this person has a need. Jesus doesn't need to work on figuring anything out. A need is laid before him. He has authority to do something about it, and he's going to do it. And what we might expect, because Luke has told us in verse 17 that the power of the Lord was on him to heal, we might expect a lame man to walk, which would be miraculous. And we might expect the first thing that Jesus would say to him be get up and walk, because he could do that, and that's what he was there for. But what does Jesus say to him? Verse 20. Verse 20 says this, And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. When Jesus sees their faith, he doesn't respond by healing. He declares the man's sin forgiven. Jesus wasn't just there to make sick people well or paralyzed people walk. Jesus' authority is even greater, and Jesus has come to forgive sinners, and that is good news. Now, it doesn't sound like good news to those keepers of the Mosaic law, the Pharisees who were there in attendance, and this is where the conflict starts to brew. Because they know their Bible well, and they know the only one who has authority to forgive sins is God. And Jesus just said, your sins are forgiven. What is Jesus saying? Here's what they're thinking, it says in verse 21. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Blasphemy just means defiling the name of God. And they hear Jesus' claim here as blasphemy. Blasphemy was such a serious offense that it was, it was punishable by death. Okay, so, so Jesus is saying something that they see to be not just like, hey, he shouldn't say that. You know, it's not like, uh, oh, you shouldn't do, no, it's, it's, He deserves to die. This is blasphemous, what Jesus is saying. Because only God has authority to forgive sins. Now, what is Jesus going to do? Verses 22 to 24. Is Jesus going to back down, or is he going to double down? Look at verses 22 to 24. When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk, but that you may know, that, and here's here's the statement, that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. Jesus doesn't back down, he doubles down. He knows that this will make them mad, but it's true, so he says it. Jesus takes this title from the book of Daniel, Son of Man, which we'll look at in future sermons. We'll hear more about it then. But he takes that title and he says, the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And because you can't really see that, like you can't really see the forgiveness of sins, he's like, well, I'll just do something easy. I'll do something easier for me. I'll just say, get up and walk, because they can see that. So he gets up and he walks. Picks up his mat. The thing that had been carrying him, he now carries. Right? Walks out with it. Verses 25 and 26. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. What's the result? Verse 26. And amazement seized them. And they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. Not only was this one man's life radically transformed in that moment, I'm just, just still picturing this moment of the crowd. Like, th- there's not teaching, there's a break in the teaching, but they're, walk- they're watching a man who, who had to be carried on a mat, now walking and carrying his mat. Uh, the, the friends probably still couldn't get it, so they're still they're like peering down at all this through a hole in the roof. I wonder if that guy kind of just weaves his way through the crowd Ready to go outside and give his friends a hug and thank him for bringing, thank them for bringing him to Jesus. Church, this really happened, <laughs> right? When it's a story like this that you maybe heard when you were in Sunday school a lot when you were a kid, we might forget, like it really happened. It's not a cartoon; like it really happened. This is Jesus, our Lord and Savior. He has authority not only to heal but to forgive sins. We've seen extraordinary things today, they said. Aren't you glad we know him? And don't you want others to know him? So here's when I was a kid in Sunday school, the application I think that I remember from this passage again and again, which I think is there, I don't think it's central, but it's there, and I'm going to use it, is we need to bring our friends to Jesus, right? This man could not get up and work his way through a crowd on his own, but he had friends who were going to do whatever it took to get this guy to Jesus. You know who does a really good job of this in our church? Kids. Kids do a really good job of this in our church. You come to Awana on Wednesday night, it's filled with all kinds of kids who got invited by another kid because they wanted their friend to know Jesus. You come to middle school youth group on a Wednesday afternoon, there's a lot of kids not from our church because their friends loved them and cared for them and they wanted them to meet Jesus. I get to hear a lot about Jesus here. Come with me. Friends bring friends to Jesus. That's that's what we do. Adults, we can learn a lot from our kids in this way. By the way, I, I should mention this because we just kind of got the numbers. Um, we want lots of kids to go to camp because uh, they hear about Jesus. So so part of your giving, uh, part of your giving goes to support the ministry of Mary Beth and Bio in Nigeria. Part of it goes to camp scholarships. We've kept upping that number in the budget because we want to give like healthy scholarships to kids. Uh, we're doing, uh, so they have to be involved in one of our ministries in our church. We're, we're scholarshiping 35 kids this year. Uh, well, there's a couple that are on a waiting list. Hopefully all 35 of them get to go, uh, going to camp. Some of them from our own church family, some from outside of our church family. But, but we, that, that's just one of the ways that, and again, most of those kids, they were invited by another kid who told them, you should come to camp with me. They're going to get a, uh, to come kind of face-to-face with Jesus in that environment for a week. So thank you. For that, adults, we need to learn from our kids. We can learn something from our kids. When when people at work or in your neighborhood or whatever asking, "What'd you do this weekend?" They're like, you can tell them about all the other stuff. A lot of times, we skip. Like, I was with my church on Sunday morning. I got to, I got to hear about like just just talk to them about being with your church. Invite them to come with you to be with you in your church with your people. Like, and not just like a casual like, "Hey, you should come sometime," but like, "Hey." Would you want to join me some Sunday? Like I can pick you up and we can go together because it's hard to walk in. Some of you did that today. A couple of you, you walked into a church. I don't know these people uh, and I'm just walking in and there's this gauntlet of people. You have to shake their hands as you walk in and it's a little intimidating. G- invite your friends and then come with them. Okay, So, so just a very simple application to bring people to jesus like uh, i'm not like i'm not saying that jesus equals the church right but but this is a way where where we can the gospel will be proclaimed speaking of proclaiming the gospel let's just end with that i think you heard as we went through this passage this this introduction again to who jesus is and seeing that jesus is willing to touch the untouchable that that those who are cast out Jesus is willing to become unclean that they might be declared clean we see the gospel in that if you came in here today feeling untouchable unlovable unforgivable like i don't want to just you know if you're you're new here i don't want to tell you this but you're wrong i do want to tell you that you're wrong you're not untouchable you're not unforgivable you're not unlovable we worship Jesus who is Lord, who is Savior, who regularly pursues lost people who feel untouchable, unlovable, unforgivable, but Jesus came, came to seek and to save the lost. He does not want you to steer clear of Him. He wants you to draw near. And He will draw you near. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus willing to take on our uncleanness, that we might be declared clean. In a moment we're going to sing, Jesus said that if I'm lost, He will come to me. And He showed me on that cross, that He will come to me. Let's pray. Uh, Father, it's, it's good to be uh, together on this day. Uh, just thinking about Jesus, talking about Jesus up here makes me want to sing about Jesus. We know when the crowd on that day saw that you had given your Son authority to forgive sins, many were amazed, filled with awe, glorifying you. And Father, I pray that that would be us when we reflect on who Jesus is and all He has done for us, God, help us to be amazed and filled with awe again and again and again. And God, I pray especially for those who are here today who feel unlovable, unforgivable, untouchable, that they would know that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. That He doesn't push away the unclean who are desperately in need of His touch that He touches them, and that, that He even has power to forgive sins. But pray for those who are here today whose hearts are being made new even now. Would you convince them that